You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and this program is all about health insurance, health reform, taking a look at where we're going as a country, where we're going with employer plans, where we're going with individual plans, giving ideas to policymakers out there, to decision makers in insurance companies, to decision makers in the HR departments of large employers that are self-insured, giving information to individuals that are looking for their own health insurance program. We're talking about all of that. I hope you get excited about some of the new ideas we present. We've been talking over the last several months about national health reform and what that can look like. And now that we're really into the election period, we're going through the primary debates on the Democratic side and the Republican side, their primaries there. One of the biggest issues that we're facing this year, what both parties are facing this year, what's going to be part of the major part of the debate for the 2020 election is going to center around health care. It's the one issue that the Democrats far exceed the Republicans on. They lead in the latest polls by at least 17 percentage points in public opinion. The Democrats can handle health care better than Republicans can. So Republican candidates, Republicans up for re-election, whether it's in their primary or we get to general election time, they're going to have to have a better answer than just some bumper sticker comment that we're going to cover your pre-existing conditions. Right now in Washington, the issue is really around the fringe areas. What are we going to do with prescription drug costs? What are we going to do with some of the other areas of health insurance, whether we're going to try to control costs in some unknown way, whether we're going to have some kind of reform that's unspecified. We're going to debate around Medicare for all or private markets. But if you're a Republican, what does a private market solution really look like? Does it really have some impact is it something simple to rep- that the general public can understand? Because the Democrats' Medicare for All sounds pretty simple. Certainly everybody over age 65 is covered by Medicare. And there's a general understanding uh, in the public that government provides health care for the elderly and they're very happy with it. Now, most people under age 65 really don't understand or know what Medicare really is. So in this program, what we've really been talking about is how do you reform the marketplace and create a private free market solution? Given that the public doesn't understand, most politicians don't understand, and many of the politicians that are working on health reform these days in Congress or in your state legislature, at best they're medical doctors, maybe they're physician assistants, dentists, they're typically providers of healthcare services. And they're very smart people. They're very good and dedicated to what they did in their professional lives. And they're probably very dedicated in trying to provide some of that information and knowledge back in public service. But the reality is very few politicians, whether they're providers of care 
that seem to take control of the health care reform issues or not, they they really don't know about the other side of the business, the insurance business. They only deliver the care, and they're talking about health care reform. What I've been focusing on in these programs of health care insight is the other side of the coin, the health insurance, how you finance the delivery of health care. If we can't figure out as a country how to effectively finance on a cost-effective basis the care that we want, we'll never get to that care that needs to be restructured. If I was talking about health care reform, I'd be getting into some of the other issues about the quality of the delivery of care, about tort reform, defensive medicine, telemedicine, alternative delivery care mechanisms, inpatient, outpatient services, certificate of need that hospitals have in many states that just drive up the costs, cost fixing that everybody fixes their cost around what the government reimburses for Medicare and or Medicaid. So there's a whole lot of issues that would be around Medicare, uh, health care reform. But the real issue is before you can get to the health care reform issues, you really need to get to how am I going to finance the care in a cost-effective way? And is that plan for financing care going to give me rewards and incentives for doing the right things, for staying healthy, for changing my lifestyle as needed, for changing my diet and exercise, for knowing what my blood pressure, blood pressure cholesterol, nicotine use, body mass index, A1C, waist size, does it really help me know what my numbers are and help me to get educated around healthcare issues rather than just hoping that at some point along the way, if I have a problem, I can have some surgery to fix it or the doctor will just give me a pill to take care of whatever ails me. So we really need to get into health insurance reform. And we've done that, and we're going to come back, and we're going to reemphasize that in the coming weeks because now is the time when people might really be focusing on health reform, which would include both health insurance and health care. But I think, again, you have to need and do the right kind of financing under health insurance reform, and how do we get to a marketplace that's really a free market service that provides people with guaranteed issue and coverage of preexisting conditions. Because the health insurance world that we had previous to Obamacare certainly didn't do that. So how do we create a marketplace? We've described it in some of the earlier sessions. If you want to go back into the archives here on America's Web Radio, or go to healthcareinsight.net, and many of those programs, both audio and video, are available on that website. So you can go back and and you can uh, study and refresh on some of the ideas on how to create a free market system. But the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is actually a core underneath that health care reform, that every health and care and health insurance program of reform needs to incorporate the concept of health care consumerism. That is, how do we create a system that is more focused on the consumer, the purchaser of the health insurance program, the purchaser of that financing mechanism? How do we help support them? And when they do need care, how is it 
transition into a patient-centric coverage so that we have the financing, and then when we become a patient, we're actually given the focus and attention that we need by the providers of care. Because most people, when they enter into the healthcare system, whether it's going to the doctor or going to the hospital, it's not particularly focused on the patient. Because the real customer from the provider standpoint is whoever pays the bill. And who pays most of the bill? Yes, as policyholders, as someone who's covered by an insurance plan, most of our costs are deductibles and coinsurance. But if we have any kind of a significant issue, whether it's a lot of testing, whether it's some surgeries on the outpatient side, or certainly if you're an inpatient for any particular reason, for any length of time, you're not paying most of the bill. The third-party reimbursement system takes hold. The insurance company, the employer, the federal government. And if you've ever been in business, if you own your own business, if you just think about being a business owner, if you're not one today, who's the real customer? It's the person who pays the bill. And the patient, for the most part, is not the one paying the bill. It's the insurance company, it's the employer, it's the federal government. That's who the providers of care give the focus and attention to. That's who gets the care and treatment that's necessary is, how do I get paid rapidly? How do I give you the information to pay me rapidly? It's all about the reimbursement system, much more so than the patient. Too many nurses are spending too much time in the back room coding the care that's being given so they can get a reimbursement. Too often the insurance company is asking for more information that has to do with the processing of claims and the explanation of the services being provided. So there's less and less time for any of those providers to actually focus on the patient. In fact, the average amount of time that a doctor spends with a patient is less than five minutes. You know, you may get to see a physician assistant or nurse or one of the other administrative people in in the doctor's office. But actual time face-to-face with the doctor is actually pretty limited. Why? Because you're not the real customer for that doctor. The real customer is the insurance company making the reimbursement. If you are a real customer you'd get better service in the hospital. If you were a real customer, you would get more alternatives to get some of your services on an outpatient basis instead of having to go into a hospital. Hospitals are very expensive these days. They've grown out of proportion to the services that they're supposed to be providing. The cost of a room there is just outrageous. Hospitals used to be the place a community would look towards to keep the working population healthy, to get somebody who has an illness or an accident or injury back on the job. They were seen to be a complement to a community that made everything work. But today, it's actually competition. There are more and more people that are going into the healthcare world as employees. They're not going into the manufacturing. They're not going into other 
businesses. They're not developing businesses out there on their own, being entrepreneurs. They're not becoming farmers or electricians or plumbers. They're going to work in the healthcare industry. Why? Because that's where the dollars are. An enormous amount of money is being put in the industry, and more than half of it is coming from the federal government, which has very few controls, very few limitations on the services that they would provide, very little oversight. There's an awful lot of fraud, waste, abuse in government programs, and that carries over throughout the entire industry. The health care reform we talked about earlier is in desperate need of tort reform so that a mistake that's made in a hospital does not turn into a multi, 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 multi-million dollar lawsuit. There's got to be some good alternatives as to how we better deliver care. And we could demand that as consumers if we were really paying more of the bill. That gets into the concept of healthcare consumerism. Well, let's finish this hour out and starting with the next segment of this program, talking about that underlying issue of healthcare consumerism. Hang with me. We'll be right back after a word from some sponsors. Thank you. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. Let's continue the discussion from the previous session, and then we'll get into more details on healthcare consumerism. As we were talking previously, healthcare reform is going to be the major topic 
of 2020 and the elections for certainly for federal government positions. The whole House is up. 435 members are up for election. The Senate has got about 33, 34 that are up for re-election. Several open seats. So health care is going to be a big topic. It's a big topic every day for you and me, our families, and the general public, because we have to deal with the concerns about health care. There are many people who would like to even retire early and enjoy life because they've been working so hard. The world is full of stress, and new skills are needed in many areas. And as we get older sometimes, it's harder to pick up those skills and just say, well, I'm going to go from being a more of a manual labor to being a technology expert. And so the easy thing, we've worked hard, saved some money, and the kids are gone. We want to take some early retirement, even if it means we've got to downscale our lifestyle or our home. But we want to enjoy the rest of our life rather than working ourselves to death. But we can't typically because health care that's supplied by our employers hard to duplicate when we're no longer an employee. So there's a lot of issues at many stages of life that healthcare creates an issue. If you're young, you think you're healthy, and you really don't want an expensive healthcare program. You want something that meets your needs, something that may be catastrophic, something that will cover you if you have a real big need, but for the most part, you don't need Cadillac insurance program, just like you don't need a Cadillac car or Mercedes or Lexus. You're certainly willing to take and use some transportation to get back and forth. And as your career grows, you'll get more expensive cars. As your family grows, you get a bigger car or SUV or something that um, meets the whole family's needs. So at each stage of life, there may be a different need, and we don't need a one-size-fits-all, which is sort of what Obamacare provides. So let's continue with the process here of saying we're not going to wait on Washington to do something. We're not going to wait on states to take action. We've got to do something now. We've got to figure out how we can encourage our employer to provide a better plan for us, give us more options. Or if we're looking for individual insurance, how do we go out and find the right kind of program that's going to put us at the center rather than the insurance company? So the underlying concept here is healthcare consumerism. Healthcare consumerism is a concept that includes account-based plans, like plans with health savings accounts or health reimbursement arrangements. But it really goes beyond that. Healthcare consumerism is about how you recognize an individual and the family members that are doing the right things, taking care of themselves. You reward and incentivize them in some way. Maybe it's a financial addition to the account. Maybe it's a change in plan. Maybe it's an additional plan that they qualify if they're doing the right things, what I call shared savings. If an individual is doing the right things and keeps themselves from being hospitalized or is following the doctor's orders and is going to get better faster than whoever the risk-bearing entity is in general, which would be the employer, the insurance company, or the governments, state or federal. They ought to share some of that savings because you're doing the right things. Also, healthcare consumerism is very heavily focused 
on personal responsibility and in learning more about healthcare issues, healthcare literacy. We really don't have very good healthcare literacy in this country because we haven't had to. People don't have to learn about the healthcare issues, their medications that they need to take, the types of treatment and compliance, adherence to treatment plans that are so important, how to deal with mental health issues, stress and depression that may go along with a particular medical condition, what we typically call a comorbid condition. How do we deal with all of that? Well, we've got to transition. We've got to recognize that each one of us has an important reason to learn more about health and health care. And that's what healthcare consumerism is really all about. So what we want to do in talking about healthcare consumerism, in previous sessions we've talked about five generations of healthcare consumerism. First generation is just a high deductible plan with an account typically underneath it. So that you have some savings, if you will, whether that's a health savings account or health reimbursement arrangement, some funds that are available underneath your insurance plan. So your insurance plan is more of a high deductible, but isn't necessarily a high cost to you or a high out-of-pocket to you. It simply means that before that third-party reimbursement comes into play, you're the one paying the bills out of tax advantage savings that you have. It puts the customer, the patient at that time in more control because you're paying the bill. You're more inclined to say, do I really need an MRI when an x-ray will do? It's more like people do with cosmetic surgery. They shop around. They, they learn what's right and wrong. They ask for recommendations. Same thing with medical care for animals. You shop around for your animal. You look for a good vet. Dental, same way, except many people have dental insurance these days, and again, there's a third-party reimbursement that distorts the delivery of care in many cases, but not as much as with health care. So we've talked about five generations. First generation is high deductible with an account underneath it. Second generation is a high deductible plan with an account underneath it, but here's the change for second generation. Second generation, there's additional rewards and incentives that accumulate during the year based upon the actions of the policyholder. In other words, if you're doing the right things, you'll get more money into your account. You get rewards and incentives that increase that account. That means you have even less out-of-pocket costs. In fact, you might have no out-of-pocket costs because your employer or the insurance company has put more money into the account because you've been following your doctor's orders. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a problem to get those rewards and incentives because if you're healthy and you do the right things to stay healthy, you can get rewards and incentives there too. So second generation is a very powerful tool for behavioral change, to reinforce good behaviors. Then we go to third generation. Third generation reflects the interaction between what happens on the job that encourages you to be self-sufficient in many ways and your health care and also how your health care helps you stay on the job so that you have a certain level of human capital and health care is an important part of your human capital so that you can 
bring all those other skills you have to the job. Your creativity, your teaming, your attitude, your connections, your education, all that comes to the job. And if the job is treating you like an adult in other ways, you're more likely to act like an adult when you get these rewards and incentives available to you on your health care. That's third generation. Fourth generation is around very personalized care. It's around your own genomics, your own proteomics. It's about the individual. What can we do to each individual? Whereas third generation that I just talked about is more of a population management. Fourth generation is very personalized. And fifth generation is about your community. It's about how do you interact with your community, uh, finding people who have had similar illnesses, sharing uh, your information, helping to support your lifestyle uh, concerns and issues. Uh, there are things like sharing circles, and wise men and wise women. It's a technique that has been discovered around the world to have a significant impact on productive longevity. And that's the whole issue of the fifth generation is how do we be productive longer in life and be healthier in life, have better relationships in our community so that we're helping each other. It's not so much there about accounts and getting more money into your accounts, but it's more how do you take that external reward system and create an intrinsic need to do the right things. So they get rewards around recognition and love and the pat on the back that's necessary to keep you going. How do we get that sort of reinforcement in a non-monetary way? Since we know at some point it has to transition that way. Putting more and more money into an account to doing the right things is the, you know, Pavlov's hierarchy of uh, rewards and incentives. Money at some point kind of gets a diminished effect. So it has to transition from being rewarded from the outside to knowing it's the right thing to do and doing it. It's about helping and sharing with others to do the right thing. So those are the five generations that are actually out there in the marketplace today. And we're seeing aspects of all those areas. Is anybody in, in the fifth generation entirely? Well, no, there are aspects and value of being in any of these generations. And there are new vendors that are cropping up each day. So that's why earlier on we went through a whole system of how do you develop a strategic plan that's a three to five year time frame where you can think about folding these different programs into your employee population, educating them around the opportunities, and using each of those steps to further reinforce the belief that the employees can and should take better care of their own health, should can and should be aware of their health condition and being compliant with care or being more safe on the things that they do, whether it's on the job or off the job recognizing their own human capital that they need to bring to the job to be the most productive employees. Well, within those five generations, there are four building, five building blocks, actually. There are five building blocks that can be related to each of those generations. The first is the accounts, the personal care accounts. And last week we went in enormous detail on the personal accounts. The second one is health management. It is prevention. It's sort of the promise of health and how that relates across the five generations. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment of this program. 
But just for completeness of what we're going to do even in future weeks that I hope you look forward to is the third building block is what I call condition management. People with chronic and persistent conditions, how do we help those individuals to be the best consumers of health care, to be the most knowledgeable? And then we have health literacy. How do we help people become more educated around their health and health care issues? And then the last building block is rewards and incentives. And each of those building blocks has a different relationship across the five generations. And we'll talk about that sort of healthcare consumerism grid that can be created. If you think about the generations across the top and the building blocks down the side, then you have a grid and how each of those is filled in with the aspects of the generation and the building block. Well, let's take another quick break and we'll come back and we're going to talk about healthcare consumerism and the idea of health management that is the promise of good health. How do we do that and how do we get this underway? Be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We're talking about healthcare consumerism and really understanding the term and the concepts of healthcare consumerism, which should underlie any insurance program, whether it's a repeal and replacement of Obamacare or whether it's the health insurance that your employer provides or the health insurance that you got into the market and purchased directly from the insurance company. So let's talk about what I'll call health management. It includes prevention, early intervention. So it's basically around wellness. And wellness is a proactive, organized program providing lifestyle and clinical medical 
assistance to employees and their family members in maintaining good health. Wellness programs encourage voluntary behavior changes and support compliance with proven approaches to maintain health, reduce health risks, and enhance individual productivity. That's the real issue around health management. It's basically around wellness. Both PwC and other surveys have shown and indicate that larger companies, larger companies are more likely to implement health management programs. These organizations survey their respective client bases and contacts. And while the survey populations that they look at are not identical, but the direction of the results is pretty consistent. For example, in the Coopers and Libran study, it shows that companies that are offering health management by size of company, far greater companies above 5,000 employees, about 89% of companies offer wellness and health management programs. And that's growing year to year. There's not much more to grow. You can only get to 100%, but it's growing as now probably over 90% in the current years since it's been growing. If you're between 1,000 and 5,000 active employees, you're between 80 and 85%. If you're less than 1,000 employees, you're more like around 60%. So you can see as the size of the employer group goes up, there's more emphasis on health management, on wellness. And that's a growing interest because the successes of those companies is keeping their employees happy and healthy. Now, you're always going to have companies that are kind of sweatshop and try to take advantage of employees and minimize their costs. But employers are typically these days really recognizing the value of health management with their employee staff. Some of the other companies have done surveys of smaller groups, under a thousand life groups, but the results are still consistent with that pattern that we saw. That when you get between 50 and a thousand employees, it's more like 50, 55 percent of companies offer uh, some emphasis on health management, and it works its way all the way down to groups of 25 to 50 employees. 10, 15% of those companies offer health management programs. And what is there isn't really a specialized program. It's usually what's built in to an insurance company program because most of those companies are fully insured. So the insurance company is the one that is really designing the program. It's not a self-insured plan as the larger employers are where they can develop and design their own programs to meet their population needs. These are fairly simple programs that are offered up by insurance companies that don't give the kind of emphasis that large employers do. And if you get below 25 lives, it really drops off. You're between 5 and 10% of the uh, companies that offer anything really special. So what does good health management includes? It typically includes things like prevention, early intervention, wellness, a term that's really developed on its own in the last few years is well-being, well-being programs, and mindfulness is really getting people aware and alert to their health care issues. 
So let's talk about some wellness programs and how frequently they're offered. And let's talk, take a look at programs like smoking cessation, weight management, fitness, exercise, health clubs, biometric screening, and health risk appraisals, or what I prefer to call wellness assessments. Again, we see the same thing. Smoking cessation programs, if you're over 200 employees in your group, you're probably between 70 and 80% of companies that will offer smoking cessation programs. If you're less than 200 lives, it's more like 40 to 45% of the companies offer programs. Weight loss programs, again, very popular among larger employers where there's maybe 70 to 75% if you're above 200 lives. But if you're below 200 lives, uh, more likely a third to maybe 40%. So it makes a big difference, again, the size of the company that you work for and the programs you may be able to access. You may be working for a large company, and you don't even know some of these programs are available. Maybe they've not been promoted. Maybe they've not been advertised. Maybe you just haven't read your employee newsletter or looked at some of the posters around. It's really important for you to access as many of these programs are available in your company or to try to find them if you're buying individual policies. Because there are certainly programs out there that are doing a good job and are helping to reinforce the idea of good healthcare behaviors. So employers can support the use and effectiveness of these programs by doing a number of things. The communication and awareness, things like newsletters, health fairs, posters, and even localized wellness champions, people that they can highlight the stories on what they've done and how they've changed and how it's affected their health and health care. Companies can do screenings, health awareness profiles, blood pressure, blood pressure checks, blood tests, body fat analysis. These could all be provided during lunchtime programs or made available during the day. Bring in specialists to do this if you don't have in-house staff. But that kind of screening can be really valuable to companies. I've heard stories of many times when they do those kinds of screenings, they'll wind up with some really key employees that have very high blood pressure and need some immediate attention. You know, that's called the silent killer, is hypertension. And you might wind up losing a key executive or a key employee in an area that would be very difficult to replace. So health screenings can be really important. And I encourage companies out there to do it. And if your company offers it, take advantage of it. Don't be afraid. You know, some people think, well, I don't want to go for that screening because they might find something. I know that sounds kind of silly, but that's the attitude many people have. I've had it myself. I said, I don't want to go and see that doctor. He might find something wrong. Well, guess what? It's not going to go away. You have to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And if they find something I'll get it treated. If they don't find something, I'll have some peace of mind. As far as other things that employers can do, the health literacy education, they can have seminars and classes, provide self-help kits, have group discussions around certain illnesses for your family members or for yourself. They can do various lunch and learn programs. As far as behavioral change, you know, we all promise, especially around New Year's, that we're going to start up an exercise program. Well, to encourage behavioral change, many companies 
have been putting in on-site fitness centers so employees at lunchtime could go down and do some exercise and they provide a shower, change of clothes down there that can be kept in a locker. I used to work for a company that actually had racquetball courts. And so we would go and play racquetball during lunch or take a break and do racquetball and then have a shower and get back to work. And you feel much better. You feel refreshed. We also have a company that provides flu shots on site so that everybody gets a flu shot. You have lunchtime walks, yoga classes, meditation classes, all sorts of things. Employers can sponsor all of those things. And if your employer is not, you ought to raise it to, up to them and see if they can't find somebody to help lead a class. Do a yoga class. Bring in somebody from the outside. It wouldn't cost very much, but it have a big impact on the employees, their mental health, lessening stress. They'd be much more productive. I mentioned earlier the idea of well-being programs that's taking on a life of its own. And many plans are expanding and evolving and evolving traditional wellness programs into well-being initiatives. Well-being focuses on the person both at work and outside work. That's the difference. Well-being lifestyle programs and classes can include areas such as financial education, family counseling, child rearing, homemaking, spiritual guidance, leadership training. There's so many different things you can do to help the whole person. The term being used here is well-being. You can do leadership training, team building, creative thinking, auto mechanics, pet caring, all sorts of programs and you can see why larger employers have both the time, the money and it's effective to have classes for a large group of people rather than just a small handful but companies are finding all these type programs especially valuable probably the first one I mentioned financial education is really taking on life of its own and taking off in many large employers and working its way down to smaller employers. Because financial stress, the inability to properly handle money, to create some savings, is really needed. In fact, it's it's a perfect addition to your program if you have an account-based program. If you're doing health savings accounts and you want people to think of that more as a savings investment vehicle, not just to pay for health care costs, but when they're not having health care expenses, those dollars will accumulate so all of these things are really helpful in terms of having the employees recognize that they're not just there for nine to five, that they need to be there healthy, and there are things that happen outside the work that can affect their health and their productivity on the job. And many of these are areas that the employer really can help initiate and provide time and effort and information on site. Some of these things like leadership training and team building, I know in my early career, I kind of did this stuff myself. I stayed after work and listened to videos. Um, I went to, um, you know, an after uh, work uh, health club. And we did yoga and meditation and exercises that helped me recover from a long day. But not everybody's going to do that on their own. There has to be some program, some initiative by the employer to really reach the broad spectrum of employees. So there's clearly a medical organizational 
and social need. And the reason for health management programs, the reason they're popular is because there is a need for them. And some surveys show that, as an example, for every 100 members, about 23 to 30% smoke. And of those, 70% want to quit. And 35% try every year and just aren't successful. 29% have high blood pressure. 30% have cardiovascular disease and don't even know it. And 80% do not exercise regularly. So the surveys and numbers show that employees want these type programs and that they will participate. They just need some encouragement. They need to make it easy for them to access and they'll participate. Well, let's take a break here and we'll come back and dive more into health management and some of the things that can be done. But let's take a quick break and we'll be right back in a few minutes. You're on America's Web Radio and this is Healthcare Insight and I'm Ron Bachman. See you in a minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry... I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're talking about understanding healthcare consumerism, and we're focusing on one of the key building blocks of healthcare consumerism, that is health management. We've been talking so much about the need to engage employees for employers or insurance companies to make programs available, make it easy for employees to participate, and we know that they want to participate. They've got the issues out there that need to be dealt with. And the health management programs have grown rapidly, partly due to the receptivity of plan members to really accept that help. And surveys indicate, for example, that for every 100 members, 47% of those members are trying to improve their diet. They're not always successful, but they're trying. So there's a desire for that kind of health management. 37% of the plan uh, plan to undergo some sort of a health screening. And 33% state they exercise regularly. Only 23% are aware of health promotion and wellness programs offered by their employer-sponsored health plans. So you may have some programs, if you're an HR individual or a benefit manager, you think just because you make those programs available that everybody's aware of them. It doesn't work just to have a one time a year at open enrollment tell people about the health care plan and your health promotion and wellness programs. It requires an ongoing campaign, a drumbeat, if you will, of services 
that are offered that you make available, and you have to put it out there this week and next week and the week after. It's really a campaign to get people involved. That's what we're really trying to do is get people engaged. So 76 of employers, 76% of employers with over 1,100 employees offer almost complete health management programs. So we know they're being successful because employers are actually implementing these programs. So how do wellness programs really affect plan members? How does it lower the cost? Well, I want you to think for a moment about four different categories, spectrums, if you will, of health. You have people who are basically well, generally healthy. Then you have people who have acute conditions. They're at risk, but it's an acute condition. It may be a hospitalization. It may even be that somebody is expecting a baby. That's a, a, a occurrence that's going to happen and then go away. So it's an acute condition. Maybe you broke your arm. It's going to get fixed. Then you have the chronically ill, people with asthma, diabetes, congestive heart failure. They're chronically ill. Chronic and persistent means that they'll never really recover. They may stabilize themselves, but the idea of full recovery is probably never going to happen for most. And then you have the fourth category that I'll call catastrophic. That could be brain injury, burns, Something has happened to people that are just complete catastrophic claims that are going to be hard to deal with. It's not, it's not an illness or disease that's chronic. It's something that happened to them that is completely catastrophic, changes their life, usually for the worst. Well, wellness happens in those first two categories. We'll talk about the chronically ill and the catastrophic next week under program of condition management programs. But this week we're talking and wrapping up the discussion around wellness. And wellness can deal very effectively with helping your program for those people who are well and those people who have acute conditions and are at risk for some medical costs. The ideal is that you want to minimize the number of people to go from being well to being at risk or having an acute condition. That's called prevention. And if they have that acute condition, you want to maximize the speed of their recovery. You want to get them back to the well state as fast as possible. So the early intervention and wellness can really help people keep people in that well category. And on the clinical side, if you've got a condition, broken arm, some other illness that's created uh, like a flu virus, some kind of a rash that you might have, something that's an acute condition that's going to be treated, and then you're going to return to being well. You want to have the information out there. You want to have the right um Location where you get that service, you don't always have to be going into a hospital. There may be an outpatient uh, service that's available. There may be some testing that can be done on a less expensive basis than having to go in a hospital to have it done. So that's the area of education and wellness and well-being that's most affected. 
Now, the reality is that's about 80% of your population, but only about 20% of the cost. Next week, we're going to talk about the 20% of the population with 80% of the cost, and that's where big overall plan savings can be handled. But in that 80% of your population, you want them to be as well as, as possible. You want them to stay in that wellness category because you want them to be productive. That's when they are at their most productive as an employee of your company. So the key is to develop health management programs that minimize the acute episodes by supporting and encouraging prevention, wellness, and lifestyle changes for those that are already healthy. When a plan member does have an acute illness, a minor hospitalization, or maternity stay, the important actions are to maximize recovery by providing early intervention, timely treatments, and effective clinical care. Getting individuals recovered and back to a healthy state as soon as possible will benefit the plan member and save treatment costs from further complications. So there's some key decisions in this process that are, need to be recognized. If you're developing these programs or you have one and you want to take a look at their effectiveness, you want to ask questions like, will the wellness program be for the employees only or employees and their dependents? Will you purchase from an outside vendor, develop internally, or integrate on some sort of a combination basis? Are you going to consider it in conjunction with plan covered wellness benefits, that is immunizations, mammograms, screenings, employee assistance programs, physical exams, prenatal care, well child care, etc. How's all that work together with the existing program that you have? Will you consider in conjunction with the work site programs, that is safety, ergonomics, uh, work life programs? There's a number of things to consider in building these programs. And what incentives rewards will be provided for compliance or penalties for non-compliance. Let's talk for a minute about prevention because prevention has three distinct segments. And I think you'll recognize these if you're listening to the program here. Uh, perk up for a second and listen to the definitions of prevention because it's really important to understand the different levels of prevention and how they might apply to your life. The first is primary prevention, and it's aimed at preventing the onset of disease. For example, immunizations, annual physicals, and the promotion of physical activity. That's where most of us think prevention lies. But there's a secondary prevention, and it's aimed at treating a disease after its onset, but before it causes serious complications. Some examples of that are identifying individuals at risk for diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and providing early intervention. So you can see that's an entirely different category, the secondary prevention, to keep things from getting really out of hand from the primary prevention, which is trying to prevent the onset of the disease to begin with. Now there's a third or tertiary prevention definition, and it's aimed at treating the late or final stages as to minimize the degree of disability and improve functionality. So if you're really in a difficult situation, there is a recognition that prevention still can apply just to minimize your degree of disability. Yes, you've got a chronic and persistent situation. You may even have a catastrophic situation. 
but there's aspects of prevention of not letting it get worse. And in fact, improving some of the functionality that a person might otherwise have and lose if they don't recognize this. So three levels of prevention are really important for us to understand. It just doesn't stop with trying to uh, keep away the onset of disease. Of course, preventive care is covered under the Affordable Care Act. And there's a number of things that are included, and they continue to grow as covered under the Affordable Care Act. There's actually three organizations that are inputting to what's really covered under the Affordable Care Act under 100% coverage, as an example. First is the United States Preventive Services Task Force. They make recommendations, and their recommendations, A or B, are usually included automatically or with some uh, time schedule as to what's covered under the Affordable Care Act at 100%. There's also the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Immunizations, and they make recommendations as to what can be included and what should not be included under the Affordable Care Act. Then finally, there's an organization called HRSA. It's the um, Health Resources and Service Administration, and they make recommendations with respect to infants and children and adolescents, and they very strongly rely on evidence-informed preventive care and screenings. With respect to women, such additional preventive care services and screenings are covered, which are not otherwise handled by some of the other organizations that I mentioned. So there's a lot of governmental influence in studies and research that goes into covering it. Now, pre-Obamacare, employers could pick and choose the kind of programs they covered 100% because employers are very different in what's impactful to them. Um, many of them feel they don't need to cover every single item at 100%. They'd rather pick and choose those items that are effective and uh, for their own organization. Obamacare doesn't allow for that. So that's one of the changes. If we get away from Obamacare, instead of having every employer cover everything that could happen um, at 100%, some employers would rather put the emphasis in areas that they know their their industry or their business uh, falls into, and they can do more in those areas. And if the other areas that they're not covering 100% are still um, uh, hit one of their employees, uh, they can be covered, but just not at 100%. So I think most employers recognize that just about all these things are part of healthcare uh, issues. So. That hopefully gives you a good idea and understanding of health management. It's really one of the key building blocks in this whole idea of healthcare consumerism. It's one of the things that every employer should be implementing. We didn't talk as much in this segment here about mental health, but mental health prevention is actually critical to this whole idea of health management. Especially these days, where we have so many people that are stressed out on a job, stressed out at home, whether it's financial stress, whether it's social stresses, work stresses, all sorts of issues. And if they get a medical condition, that just adds to the stress. Uh, marriage stress, all sorts of issues can come into play. So please, consider the importance of prevention in your overall program and the plan you select. And anything that we move forward on a national basis with healthcare consumers, it has to include issues that we've discussed here around health management. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We'll come back next week with more information and details on what 
healthcare consumerism really means. So this is Ron Bachman signing off on America's Web Radio, and this program you've been listening to is Healthcare Insight. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.